The American Medical Informatics Association, or AMIA, is an organization of about 5,000 biomedical and health informatics professionals. AMIA recently urged a congressional committee to consider making changes to HIPAA related to the use of protected health information for research purposes. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with AMIA's President and CEO, Dr. Douglas Frizdma. Doug joined AMIA last month from the Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT, where he worked for more than five years and was most recently ONC's Chief Science Officer. Doug will discuss with us the kinds of changes that AMIA would like to see made to HIPAA for research and why. Hi, Doug. Hello. Now, as I mentioned earlier, AMIA recently sent a letter to the House Committee on Energy and Commerce in response to comments that the committee was seeking about a recent digital health white paper that was issued. In the letter, AMIA made a number of recommendations, and one of those recommendations was for Congress to consider amending HIPAA to define data research as part of healthcare operations. Now, under HIPAA currently, healthcare operations as well as treatment and payment are purposes under which covered entities may use protected health information without obtaining a specific consent from the individual. So now, Doug, why did AMIA make the recommendations to expand this exemption, I guess, to data used for research? And what would that change mean in terms of the use of PHI for research purposes? I think one of the things that's important to put out there right away is that protecting the patient and protecting the patient's information is a key aspect of what AMIA and AMIA members believe. Ensuring the privacy and the security of a patient's personal information is really paramount to establishing trust in the way in which that information is used. And trust is a fundamental piece of getting to what AMIA and other members of the informatics community have articulated, this notion of a learning healthcare system in which information that's generated during the care of patients can be used to understand how we can best improve the care that's being delivered. And so when you look at that goal, this notion of being able to use information to improve the care not only of that individual patient, but the hospital systems that are using that information and the like. One of the things that we have is this artificial barrier between the way in which information is used for quality improvement and the the kind of information or the kind of research that can be done that is intended to be generalized beyond a particular hospital. So when they talk about the routine activities, one of the routine activities that are currently covered is if the information that's being used is intended to only support quality improvement with that institution. And so we've run into this in some fairly high visibility investigations. Someone in an institution identifies that a surgical checklist reduces post-operative infections and that implementing that within their hospital has saved lives and it has reduced costs and has improved the quality of care that's being delivered. 
If that was done as part of healthcare operations for quality improvement, that particular individual, having recognized something that could benefit hundreds or thousands of hospitals across the country, the current rules don't allow that to be published as a research finding because the data wasn't collected with consent in mind. And so one of the things that we've been advocating for is not all kinds of research and not all kinds of uses, but sort of these very low-risk, non-interventional studies, similar to quality improvement, that because of that, if that is included in as part of healthcare operations, someone who determines a result, a surgical checklist, or a better way to take care of patients with decubitus ulcers or with diabetes, that information then can be published as a research finding and disseminated much more broadly. It's those kinds of very specific uses of that data for the purposes of dissemination as part of, say, a quality improvement research or the like that AMIA has really taken a look at. So now, Doug, if this was enacted, would that mean that patients would have less control over how their PHI is used for research purposes, or would there be limits in terms of the the types of research that can be done using their PHI? Well, I think one of the things that happened is that under the auspices of treatment, payment, and healthcare operations, HIPAA allows for disclosure of how that information was used. So, in fact, in some sense, provides similar transparency, that if somebody said, you know, we looked at your information, we determined that there was a quality improvement result, and we decided to publish that more broadly, those are things that I think patients would, one, want to know about, and also, two, would also find a useful thing to see. Right now, HIPAA allows the use of PHI without specific consent, only if obtaining that generalized knowledge is not the primary purpose of any study resulting from that activity. So it has this paradoxical effect that says that a hospital can use that information to improve its operations, but if it finds something that is tremendously valuable and of generalizable interest, they are not permitted to share that result or that finding more broadly. And that creates kind of this funny situation where a progressive and forward-looking organization that develops a methodology or a way of improving patient care, the current rules say that you can use, that hospital can use that personally identified information without specific consent, but if what they find is of generalizable value, they're prohibited from sharing that information. So, in other words, they can use that information for their own knowledge internally, but they can't use it to sort of publicize these findings that might be useful or beneficial to other organizations? Right. So, in effect, HIPAA creates a disincentive against using this information to pursue that generalizable knowledge. And that's the issue that is that needs to, I think, be reexamined. If we have this goal to have a learning healthcare system in which we can actually begin as a, not only as an organization, but as a healthcare system and as a, as a country, learn how we can do a better job at taking care of patients. We want to make sure that those good findings aren't necessarily only restricted to the organizations that found that particular insight. 
So now, Doug, in those examples, it sounds like the research would be perhaps beneficial for others to know about. What do you say to patients or privacy advocates who say, well, you know, once you take away the requirement to get consent, we really don't know how our data will be used for research if that is changed within HIPAA? I think it's important to recognize that research we have to be be very, very careful about the kind of thing that we're talking about when we talk about research. The kind of examples that I'm giving are really more observational research where we identify a pattern that could potentially provide value and be generalized. It's not an interventional study. It's not as if people will be placed on clinical trials without their knowledge or consent there are still important safeguards that need to be in place, and that is an important part of maintaining the confidence that patients have in the information that they entrust to their providers and to their healthcare organizations. Institutional review boards still need to consider research that has more risk for patients. The intention was never to open up all data and all research without patients' consent. It really is much more focused, if you will, on this notion that currently, and this is the rule now, that an organization can use personally identifiable information without specific consent as long as they choose not to share any of their findings, good or bad, with anyone else. And so there are situations in which having done a quality improvement study or having identified an area in which there's a better way to take care of a patient post-surgical care or the delivery of antibiotics prior to surgery, having found that in terms of their own organization, some of that information may be useful to be able to be generalized. I think really it's a desire to take a look at that somewhat artificial separation between quality improvement activities, which are currently permitted under HIPAA without specific consent, and quality improvement research that may in fact provide generalizable knowledge and that is currently not able to be included or to be shared beyond uh, beyond the walls of that institution. Would such a change allow covered entities as well as their business associates to use that patient data for these research purposes? And if so, would there be limits in terms of what the business associate might have access to? Say say it's a business associate that's doing some kind of quality improvement work for a hospital. How would that impact patient consent? Would they have to give consent to a a BA or, or it would just not be needed at all? I think the issue is is not to necessarily try to solve that problem, but to raise visibility of this artificial separation between quality improvement activity currently covered under HIPAA and the quality improvement research intended to be more generalizable. And I think there are important conversations that need to need to be had about making sure patients are aware of what what their information is being used and how that's being used both in their own care as well as to improve the operations and as part of the the learning healthcare system. So I don't have a specific answer as to or a speculation as to how business associates and covered entities and all and the IRBs and how all those pieces might fit together, but I think patients are probably unaware that their information is being used 
to improve operations. But if something good comes of that, the organizations are prohibited from sharing that information with other institutions. And I think having a conversation about is that the right kind of separation that we want to have? Is that an effective strategy to get to what I think we all believe to be a useful thing is the notion of having a learning healthcare system that, that can do this. Many organizations get around this by moving entirely outside of, of HIPAA. There are organizations that have patients donate their information and they can use it for whatever purposes or having the ability to share information that is personally identified as part of for-profit organizations. I think we're just trying to raise visibility about this separation that is that is made that says as long as you don't share what you learn, it's okay. And I'm not sure that patients necessarily understand that that's how the current situation is organized. So now, Doug, if this change was enacted, what kind of impact do you think it would have potentially on the HIPAA privacy and security rule? For instance, are there technical capabilities that would allow this PHI to be used for the so-called good sort of research versus something that might get out of hand? Again, it's difficult to to sort of speculate. I think what we've tried to do in in the letter was to raise uh, visibility about this difference between quality improvement versus quality improvement research. Obviously, it's important that patients have more transparency in the kind of data that's there and that they have the ability to be first-order participants, if you will, in their healthcare that's being delivered. But patients are consented to some degree when they come to their doctor that says, I agree to let my information be shared for the purposes of treatment payment and healthcare operations. You know, there are consents that are signed to be able to share some of that information already. The question is, is is it possible that for quality improvement activities that also could be shared and disseminated more broadly under the auspices of sort of non-interventional research or research that does not require patients to have drugs or uh, samples or other things like that. And I think it's important to have a conversation about that. I think part of the, the letter here is not to lay out what the solution should be, but to have the conversation and to raise visibility about this separation that currently exists that allows PHI to be used without consent for quality improvement within a quality improvement studies within an institution, but does not allow that information to be more widely disseminated if it turns out that that quality improvement um, study within that institution has generalizable knowledge. Doug, in another recommendation that AMIA made, AMIA says that Congress should direct the Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services to convene a multi-stakeholder HIPAA barriers working group that has, quote, a mandate to surface issues of impeded data movement within the healthcare system and to propose a plan for addressing the timely and efficient use of health information for research while also addressing the confidentiality, security, and privacy of individuals. Now, based on your experience working within HHS at ONC, what do you think a HIPAA barriers working group might bring to the table and why is it needed? There was a number of recommendations that were put out in that report to improve research access to health data to benefit patients. And so although there's been a lot of focus on 
the amendments to HIPAA, part of what AMIA has been advocating for is to have that conversation about what does it look like. One of them was is we need to get a conversation about making sure that there are ways in which we can get to this learning healthcare system. And we want patients to be there. We want providers, educators, clergy, law enforcement, all of them to be able to create a much more consistent view of how we can best protect the public's information. And at the same time, while addressing confidentiality, security, and privacy, make sure that we're not creating artificial barriers that would prevent the dissemination of data that would be more more useful. One of the other recommendations was to make sure that there was public transparency on responsible research data uses and reporting of breaches. And so much of the recommendations that came through with the letter was to make sure that there was safe use of the electronic health record, that there was public transparency on research data uses and reporting of breaches, and to make sure that we start having a much more public conversation with multiple stakeholders to make sure that we're addressing how, in this age of electronic information, we can both leverage that information to help patients and to help healthcare systems, as well as making sure that the confidentiality, security, and privacy of individuals is respected. And so it's really about having that conversation and saying, you know, it's been a long time since the HIPAA regulations were first put in place. We are living in a world in which people have all sorts of information that's being generated, both health-related and non-health-related, and that we need to, I think in this new era, get more feedback and re-examine things in a multi-stakeholder environment, make sure that the public is engaged and that the trust is there and that the use of that information is safe, both in terms of preventing unintended consequences from the use of that information, as well as making sure that it's protected and secured. Thanks, Doug. I've been speaking to Dr. Doug Fridsma. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.